and welcome to episode 35 of Slaytanic Vercast. I'm Mo from France and to my west broadcasting live from a torture chamber and dental surgery in Charlton cum Hardy, it's Dr. Dequessence. How are you doing, Doc? I am absolutely in my element. Right. Um, I love dentistry and I love torture. <laughs> Only in the abstract, you understand, because I'm incapable of feeling pain. In yeah. fact, I'm incapable of feeling anything. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I don't have any teeth. No, you you are Jet Li from um, the, the the final Pierce Brosnan Bond movie, aren't you? Has he not got any teeth? Oh, I don't know about the teeth, but he definitely can't feel pain. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he, and his face is diamond encrusted, but yours is not. So maybe maybe my choice of analogy was poor. No, my my my, my face is a slime encrusted. That's right. Um. So, but nevertheless, um, it's. A place like this is, is sort of something like my spiritual home. Mm. Um, I mean, there is um, a, an immaculately clean stainless steel surface um, mm-hmm. upon which are purposefully arranged hideous-looking instruments for poking and drilling oh. and pulling and cutting sure. yes. and inserting. Yeah. Um, and despite my very, very lengthy experience as a scientist of all disciplines, I have no idea whether these implements are for the dentistry or for the torture. <laughs> or the pleasure. That's what, well, yeah. And whose? Yeah, yeah. Is anybody present or are you on your lonesome? Um, there's movement. Mm. There's a back room. And I would like to say... I don't know whether they are as scared of me as I am of them. But since I'm not scared of them at all, mm. that comment falls a little flat. Sure. Um, so I get the idea there's some staff cowering in the back room um, as I make sort of disgusting hissing slime noises as I move across <laughs> the pile floor. I mean, I, I, I would like to present an unthreatening face, but none of my faces are particularly unthreatening. Are you there to soak in the atmosphere or are you hoping to um, perform some kind of hideous dental experiment, Doc? Um, I fancied a temp job. Mm. Mm. Um, I mean, you know, for, for a creature such as my, 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 myself, for, for, for whom no door is closed, um, obtaining survival capital is, 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 is not particularly difficult. And if I was interested in interacting with the human race or being part of the human race, I wouldn't have taken such trouble to learn all those spells that made me a disgusting abomination and an, an inhuman monstrosity in the first place. Um, but, you know, just from time to time, the, the wealthiest, most powerful man, creature, entity, feels the need to play a humble role. Of course, of course. As a, as a dental assistant... Yeah. A hygienist, um, if you will. Um, there's nothing about me that's hygienic. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, on the other hand, um, I am extremely handy um, mm. with instruments of these kind. Um, so I, I sort of strolled in, ambled in off the street um, late this afternoon and, and, and offered my services. And I, I should have thought more carefully about it because, as I said, the, the, the staff immediately made their excuses and retreated to the back room, and they're still there. And <laughs> it, it wasn't my intention to, to, to upset them at all. Uh, but the thing is, it's getting dark now. 
And these instruments are here and the chair is there and the light is there and there are warm humans in the next room. And you know what that, you know what's going to happen, don't you? I think even the most unimaginative amongst our listeners can can picture ghastly scenes in their mind at this precise moment. Doc, I'm going to give you um, a quick video game update. We haven't done this for a few weeks, I don't think so. No, we haven't. This is fascinating. And you seem to enjoy this. So I'm going to talk to you today about a game called Just Cause 3, if I may. Um, Clearly the third in a series. what we're talking about, a character called Rico is a mercenary charged with liberating an island from an evil dictator. Imagine, you know, kind of, you know, it's Cuba, really, really, it's Cuba, <laughs> let's be honest. Um, this is a 400 square kilometre open world game. Are you okay with that terminology, Doc? An open world game? What am I talking um, about? I am now because you've explained it to me. All right, go on then. Um, it's a power fantasy, really, this game. You know, you can, you you take command of such, uh, any kind of military vehicle, military piece of equipment that you can, that you can imagine, you, you can take control of. There's nothing particularly kind of sci-fi about it. I think, I think everything in the game actually exists in real life in some capacity it's just the you know the way that you interact with it is 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 rather fantastical and outrageous um one of the most interesting things about it is this idea of emergent gameplay have you heard of that doc no completely new to me so emergent gameplay is this idea and it's kind of developed over the last 10 years or so, as far as my understanding. I'm not a software developer. I'm not a game developer. But this, this is my understanding from reading around the subject. Emergent gameplay is where the game designers code the game in such a way that it innated, it is so flexible and loose and fluid that it means that things happen within the game that they never possibly conceived of um but but it's just you know it's the coding is so kind of flexible and yet at the same time robust and rigorous that it allows almost anything possible of course within the constraints of the reality of the fiction of the world you know so you know within the game you can't for example go i don't know you can't go ice skating in Reykjavik because that is not part of the of that fictional universe, you know. Um, but <clears throat> it's massively dumb fun, which is sometimes, re- because of this emergent gameplay stuff, surprisingly sophisticated. You know, it, for example, it, it, will, it will set you a task and it will say, move this thing from this place to this place. And point A is in the middle of a field and point B is half a kilometre away. And, 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 and you know, you... You, you can do whatever you want. You you, 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 know, you can find a way to manoeuvre into the back of a car and drive it there. Or if you want to be a little bit more ambitious, you know, you can call down an, a massive like attack helicopter, tether it to the bottom of your to, to the bottom of your helicopter and fly it over there and drop it in. And as you're doing so, just happen to like, fire a couple of missiles and set all kinds of chaos going at the same time. It's right. absolutely so, spectacular, Doc. So this, this, this is the video game equivalent of um, in the, the, the ancient and long-forgotten world of tabletop role-playing games. You got it. Um, 
the idea that um, you, you you start playing the game and the guy who's the dungeon master will will, will, will give you your quest. Yeah. Um, and if the party don't fancy the quest, mm-hmm. they can just sack it off and just go strolling around the environment and doing exactly. what the hell they want. Exactly. Absolutely correct. Yeah. So, so, in, so in, like, in Just Cause 3, as with most open world games, the game will suggest missions to you on the map. So there'll be a little symbol saying, come here and do this mission. But if you don't fancy doing that, then you can just bugger off and do pretty much whatever you fancy, just, you know, just for fun. Um, there is a Just Cause 4, which I have played. It just didn't quite stick in, to me, for me, in quite the same way as, as, as two and three did, because they've overcomplicated it. They, they, there's too many mechanics. There's too many rules involved. And you know what? In, in video gaming, sometimes simplicity is king. Anyone who's not played a Just Cause game, get out of there and give them a go because they're great. Um, Doc, you know what time? You know what time it is. Um, is it time for topic? It's chow time, motherfucker. Oh! <laughs> yeah, it's chow time, motherfucker. Now, we've been doing pretty well recently, haven't we? But unfortunately today, we have got three chow times. Although, really, we've only got two and a half. Because it's, it, it's a double apology from, from last, last, last week's episode. We made a really grievous mistake in the post-mortem episode. We, we did refer to it at the time. But I think it is worth apologising on my behalf one more time. We kept talking about the fact that it was written by the the lyrics were written by Kerry King. They were not. They were Jeff Hanneman. That was my fault. I said it first, and the doc just kind of followed my lead. It was a it was a schoolboy error. Um, correction number two, doc. In the epidemic and post mortem episodes, you mentioned foreshadowing towards the end of Hello Waits, and you teased that you would come back to it regarding raining blood. But we forgot to loop, to loop back as it happened. Can you explain for me, Doc? Well, I, I brought up the subject of, of foreshadowing a couple of songs ago. And it's something we noticed close to the end of album number one, close to the end of album number two, that Slayer will begin to foreshadow the style they would take up on their next album. Yeah. Um, and specifically, I, I'm... I'm pretty confident it was epidemic um, we were talking about. And it seemed to me there were some distinct moments of foreshadowing of the style that Slayer were going to be taking up on the next album. Yes, 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 yes. And that's why... Actually, we did mention that briefly, didn't we? So, yes, maybe it's not really a correction, to be honest. Um, We did, but then I also threatened to do it in the last episode, and I never Uh got round to it. Mm -hmm. Um, So... Previous instances of, of, of foreshadowing that we've seen, the most standout one um, is the song towards the end of um, the Hello Waits album. Um, and for the first time, um, Slayer completely abandoned anything to do with the supernatural or demons or yeah. Satan and write a completely prosaic, mundane song. That was hardening of the arteries, I believe. Which it, I believe it was too. Yeah, because I think the thesis of that song is using like human anatomy, or you know, just really like mammalian anatomy, I suppose, really, as a metaphor for the impending kind of climate catastrophe. Yes, if you, yeah. I'm about right there, aren't I, Doc? Yeah. So th- this this is one of the 
Um, even though it's a song with no supernatural content at all, we raised the point at the time, this was the, one of the very first clear declarations of uh, Gnostic dualism as mm. a part of the Slayer cosmology. Yeah. Uh, because it's, it's, it's a very clear statement of the, the intrinsic alchemical principle of as above, so below. Sure, yeah. Um, or what happens on a microscopic scale is mirrored on a macroscopic scale. Mm. Um, and it, it uses, correctly, as you just said, um, the metaphor of the collapse of the body of a single organism mm-hmm. um, as a microscopic mirroring, which is bad prosody. Um, mm-hmm. You can't have a microscopic mirroring. Um if you could, it would be one of those. Yes, of course. Um, <laughs> or um, the the disintegration of um, the climate, or possibly for the disintegration of um, an even larger cosmological entity than that. When we get into on, onto the next album, um, we're going to be in a, a lot of the songs. We're going to be squarely addressing many aspects of the Slayer cosmology. Mm. Um, and there's there's a poetic device which Slayer will begin to use quite frequently over the next two albums, um, where the song will be a series of statements of intent. Yeah. So effectively, each verse will dis- the the first line of each verse will describe an atrocity of some description, and it will then take the next two or three lines to effectively go from the microscopic consideration of that particular piece of horror to a macroscopic consideration. And by the end of the song, um, you will have realized that they have enumerated three or four events of horror or historical atrocities or something like that. Um, And by the end of each verse, they will have macroscoped them out um, Mm -hmm. to the point that the four, the three or four macroscopes all end up in the same place. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah. You're you're saying that they kind of introduce a subject and then Kind of gradually amplify it over the course of the of the track. Over the course, of, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And I mean, obviously, the track "South of Heaven" yeah. is the, the the standout example of where they do that. Sure. Um, I think they do it in Skeletons of Society as well. Mm. I think mm. they do it in Expendable Youth. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, and I think they do it in Silent Screen too. Yeah, so yeah, much to look forward to, but I suppose we'll get there in due time. The last correction, Doc, um, again, and, and this is totally on me, in the post-mortem episode, you referred to a bar chord, and you were talking about the fact that Slayer, play, Slayer played bar chords, and I, I railed against it, and I suggested that Slayer never play bar chords. What are you talking about, Doc? Insisting that they exclusively play power chords. Of course, I was in total error. I was mistaking the term bar chord foolishly in my brain for, you know, like five or six, five or six string proper chords, if you will. Um, whereas, of course, a bar chord is synonymous with a power chord. It's the same fucking thing, Doc. What am what, I um, talking about? I think you need to let yourself off the hook. Um, I think a strict musicologist would say that um, a bar chord is basically sliding an open chord shape up and down the neck and then using your forefinger or using a piece of steel tube to replace the position of the bridge. Yeah. Um, so if you were to play an E major bar chord, you would take your E major shape, you would slide it up to whatever fret you wanted, and then put your forefinger two frets behind there. And in theory, you could, if you wanted to, um, play all six strings. I would say that a power chord is a subset of bar chords, or mm-hmm. if you like bar chords. Uh, a power chord is one kind of bar chord. That's it. That's it. Yeah. 
Let's get on to the topic, Doc. Um, I've got a choice of five here, actually. I've got five topics organised here. I'm going to let you choose, Doc. Give me a number. One to five. Number three, how have your, have, your list, have your music listening habits changed in the digital age, Doc? What do you think about that? Um, not very much. Mm. Um, so I, I've moved media over the last 30 years um, with somewhat reluctance, uh, or, or with, with, with a certain amount of reluctance. Um, and... I use an MP3 player in very much the same way that I ever used a cassette player. So typically, I'll decide what I might want to listen to the following day. The difference is that um, I have a lot more flexibility now. Um, and unless I've absolutely run out of storage space, I don't tend to delete stuff. Yeah. Um, so whereas previously, I'd look along my row of tapes and I'd pick out two or three tapes that I might want to listen to. Um which might be compilations I made myself or might be taped copies of albums that I own. But mm. I pick out two or three and I check them in my bag and I take my cassette player with me. I replicated that habit when I moved on to CDs. Um, I never took pre, but I, I never took commercial CDs out with me. Mm -hmm. um, and that was actually a step, the, the, the CD age was actually a step backwards because even when I had the means of duplicating CDs for backup purposes only, then of course you couldn't make a compilation. You couldn't make a mix. You, you, you couldn't make a mix CD of your own. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's true. I mean, it, certainly not until we got to the um, CDR. Um, and for most of that era, I was <clears throat> either so broke or so itinerant mm. that I never actually had a decent enough computer yeah. with a, 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 a CDR thingy in it. Mm. Um, and it, and it was very hit and miss anyway, wasn't it? Because I, don't, I remember, you know, either 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 giving or receiving kind of mixtape CDRs, you know, two or either to or from people, and it, and it was very hit and miss whether it would actually work in your particular CD player, you know. Oh, so it, 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 it was reliable. nowhere near as reliable as as the mixtape, which just worked universally. And CDs, and to a certain extent, MP3 files have a massive disadvantage compared to cassettes, which is that someone gives you, 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 you get a mixed tape. Yeah. Uh, you get a compilation tape through the post that someone's made for you. Uh, and you open it up just as you're about to, to go out of the house and you, you chuck it in your Walkman and you start listening to it. Um, and then something happens like you get to work or you find you're in the quiet car on the train and you press stop. Mm -hmm. And then when you want to start listening to it again, you press play. And there was no way to emulate that with a CD player. Mm. If you pressed pause, it would sit there flogging your battery. Yeah, yeah. Um, and if you wanted to press stop, what it would require you to do is pretty much take out a notebook because mm. you hadn't memorized the tracks. If you were listening to it for the first time, you probably didn't know what most of these songs were. Mm. So you pretty much have to take out a notebook, write down the track number, write down the track position in minutes and seconds, um, and then go through the fiffle of trying to find it again when, when you want. And, and that, that, that was a massive step back that I don't think yeah. any media has ever completely recovered. I think later, later period um, kind of portable CD players did have like a bookmark function uh, where they would remember. But, but certainly to begin with, that was not true. And, and they were also crippled by that. I mean, it's, portable CDs were, were, were just dreadful, weren't they? Because if you, if, if you kind of moved 
above kind of two miles an hour and I had like a, a human gait where you, <laughs> it, it, it would just skip and would not work properly anyway. The, the, the whole thing was um, ill-conceived, I, I would argue. Yeah, um, and I mean, it, it's peculiar that um, there, was, there were portable cassette players being sold um, even as portable CD players were winning. Um, and, and people don't remember this. Uh, there's, there's, there's been talk of a cassette revival recently. Mm. Um, I think you'll find cassettes didn't really ever go away. Mm. I, don't think, I don't think portable cassette players ever stopped being manufactured. I have personal experience with this stuff because I got, I, I got through two or three um, portable CD, like, like CD Walkmans effectively. And I just thought, fuck this. And, and, and I went back to, to my, to my regular tape Walkman because yeah. here's the thing, doc, that worked. Um, and the uh, portable CD players are also horribly climate insensitive. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're in a part of the world where it's very, very humid or it's very, very cold, they don't fucking work. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, when your batteries start to go on the blink, they stop working. Yeah. Um, well, th- I mean, that's, that's true of tape, tape players as well, to be fair. Um, but what will generally happen with a tape player is that, like, rain and blood will end up sounding like some vitus. <laughs> that's true, yes. The fastest, most brutal thrash starts to sound like funeral doom, effectively. <laughs> yes. Yeah, no, you're um, right. Which, which, yeah. which can be a very interesting way of learning mm. about new sounds. Mm. Mm. Um, um, what about, um, I mean, re- really, where, 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 my initial thought for this was, you know, are, are, you, are you still an album man or do you kind of flip from, from track to track these days? I'm still very much an album man. Yeah. My, 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 my preferred method of um, uh, having mp3 variants of things that i already own um is to to start the recording progress uh, the process and play the album um, and sometimes i can't even be bothered to pause the recording process so when it gets to the end of of the side i'll lift the needle off flip the album put the needle back on again mm. so most of the albums that i own as albums find their way into my portable media selection as single mp3 files sure um I mean, and once again, that, that's a habit that's completely inculcated from the days when you would have a cassette that would run for 45 minutes. And if you're a cheapskate like me, you'd absolutely max out the 45 minutes on each side and make sure it was full. Mm-hmm. Um, and then th- in, in theory, what you could do, if, if you knew you weren't going to have to stop it, you could set the tape player, go and chuck it in the bottom of your bag um, and just leave the thing alone. Yeah, yeah. Um, so... Uh, the number of MP3 collections that I've put together myself is probably like less than a dozen. Mm. Um, I've certainly never gone in for the having hundreds of MP3 files on your MP3 player and then making a playlist. Mm. Yeah, I, 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 I have attempted to compile playlists in the past and I find the whole process so tedious. I just can't be bothered. Um, I will occasionally, to my shame, hit the shuffle button um, if I just can't be bothered. You know, either I don't have time or I can't decide on an album. But 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 I, I'm with you, Doc. I'm, I'm still very much... It, it's album or death, isn't it? Album for the win for me, basically. Yeah, I mean, it, 
it, it, it's it's a completely generational thing. Mm. I mean, there's um, there's a YouTube channel I watch, um, and I'll, 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 I plan on commenting on this when it becomes relevant to do so. That there's, there's a particular YouTube channel that I, I, I look at occasionally called the Punk Rock MBA, okay. um, and from this I learned so fundamentally the guy likes punk rock and he likes hardcore but what as as the title suggests um he's basically a management consultant um who helps people to make uh, to to run a band for the purposes of making money yeah so and he he constantly stresses the point that um in this day and age people don't buy albums people buy songs mm. Mm. um but I mean, that's all, that's always been the case, hasn't it? Not really, you know. Um, I, I think we I think we are kind of blessed in a way because because our genres of choice tend to be uh, one where the quality generally of an album is consistent. But I think you know for for like pop much much popular music. I mean, how, how many pop albums would you say have one or two songs that people actually like, and the rest is utter utter guff well once again and i've 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 learned a lot from uh, watching this 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 guy's youtube videos um when i were little um pop music was the 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 medium for pop music was singles Mm -hmm. it was seven definitely yeah yeah, yeah. um bought songs Mm -hmm. um as one grew up singles you know as, as, as one became much more mature and began listening to iron maiden um <laughs> the singles the singles diminished in importance um i mean honestly seriously who gives a fuck about metal singles mm, mm. well seriously yeah well actually you know that brings me to a point um that, that i should have mentioned in the correction section in the chair motherfucker section you know we were talking about um, Rain in Blood, and you made the observation that it was very, very foolish on Slayer's part not, not to put Postmortem as the single. You know what, Doc? Postmortem was the first single off that album. How about, Goodness, that, Doc? Me. How about that? So, you know, you heard that song, and you that's great insight on your part. We, we, we made a mistake at the time, but... Very, very insightful on your part. So yeah, it, it, it was the obvious single cut to me. Yeah. Um, so out of other stuff, I love um, punk rock and indie pop. Um, I would say the albums are secondary to the singles, mm. um, and there's a reason for that, which is that punk rock and indie pop, by and uh, there are far more people who do it not planning on making a living from it, um, or at the very least plan on supplementing their income with a day job of some kind. Um, and there are bands that form who are very well, well aware of the fact that they only have three good songs in them. Oof. They've got enough songs to stitch together, but they've got enough songs to stitch, to stitch together a live show mm-hmm. and be entertaining when they play live. And honestly, if they're anything like me, that's why they formed a band in the first place. Mm-hmm. They want to play the live show. They, 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 they want to be in front of people and they want that energy. And if they're anything like me, then the process of recording is an unremitting, unrewarding tedium <laughs> that you really don't want to do. Well, you, I mean, you, you, you remember, you remember, you must remember my my attitude to the recording process, which was, I, I just wanted to turn up, play my bit, and then fuck off and let everybody else twiddle with the knobs. Yeah, um, I, and it's it's the strangest thing because I can be very patient 
when I'm a recording engineer for hire on somebody else's material. Mm. Um, but I, I've got no interest whatsoever in playing my parts five or six times and picking out the best takes and stitching together the best bits from the best takes <laughs> and then going through the process of EQing it and then listening to the mix 14 or 15 times with 14. I've just got no fucking patience for it at all. No, um, me neither. And, and, and maybe that's why we're sitting here <laughs> talking talking about music rather than actually performing it live. What a damn shame, Doc. Um, I, 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 I um I would have played a live show every night of my life if I'd had the chance. You're right. Yeah. You're um, yeah. I, I I never got sick of playing out. Um, mm -hmm. It's just that, um, and peculiarly enough, for someone who's an electronic engineer, because um, I should be into this stuff, right? Um, and I can be when it's somebody else. Mm -hmm. um, when I'm the hired help on the project, mm -hmm. um, when I'm the person twiddling the knobs, and that's all. But. Uh, um, I hate listening to my own performances anyway. I hate watching myself on telly. I hate listening to myself on the radio. Um, I hate listening. Good, so, and, uh, uh, listeners, I'm not a particularly good musician. <laughs> um, and uh, I, I, so I think that's an attitude that's shared by a lot of people who come through the punk rock route. Um, and they're hopefully self-aware enough to know that there's a difference between um, eight songs that will get a live show crowd bouncing and slamming and all of that good stuff and eight songs that you want to listen to on a tape from one end to the other. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of those people realise that they might only, like, if they can produce th th three singles, those are their three best songs. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and let's be honest, you know, if, 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 if in somebody's musical career they write three songs that people really dig and can slam to and have a have a good time to well you know what that's that's a life worth living isn't it you know absolutely yeah. um it, it's more than most people achieve in their lives so you know I just, so I, I really get frustrated when people kind of mock one hit wonders i think well that's better than you've ever fucking done you worthless slug um i think what's worth mocking is people who were one hit wonders and didn't have the self-awareness to realize it yeah well yeah i um, suppose so yeah um you know, having had one, despite never having had a hit single before, they suddenly have a hit single. And it never occurs to them that it might be just a fluke or it might just be a right place, right time thing. Mm. Um, they suddenly decide that if they've had one hit single, they can have more and more and more because they must be a really talented songwriter. That's right. Yes, yes. yes. They, 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 they don't quite understand the concept of chance, basically. No. Um, yeah. So and, anyway, bringing this to an end, um, for the first time maybe ever, I can give you an absolutely rock solid answer to your question. Great. Uh, been, we've, been, we've been waiting for these for 35 episodes, Doc. Come on. It hasn't. Oh. Mm -hmm. um, so the way in which um, you asked me how much the way in which I listen to music has changed between my first plastic portable record player moving on through my portable cassette player and my portable CD player and my MD player and my, M and my various MP3 players. And the way in which I listen to music hasn't changed one little bit. No, 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 I'm pretty similar. I'm pretty similar. I, I will do the shuffle from time to time. Uh, not the dance, the, you know, the, the button on the player, but yeah, in general, no albums rule forever. Doc, let's get on with it.
Welcome to part two of the show. We're going to play the song, guys, and we're going to talk about it. Hey, we. Um, tonight's track is, of course, oh, I, I can't concentrate, people, because the, the doc is simulating stabbing himself in the mouth with a fake knife. It's very <laughs> difficult to concentrate. <laughs> today's track is, of course, the final track from Rain in Blood, and the track is called Raining blood get it right motherfuckers let's go the most famous bass drum pattern in metal. It's got to be, hasn't it? I would say so, yeah. Um, so let's very, very quickly think about how many homages there are going on during that 20 seconds of sound effects. Mm -hmm. um, you've got an homage to basically the whole of the first side of the first Venom album. Oh, yeah. Where there are no breaks in between the tracks. Mm-hmm. Um, they all bleed one into another by means of feedback. You've got the homage to the very beginning of the very first Black Sabbath album. Sure. Um, with the, 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 the rainy rain sound effects and the, the, the spooky noises. Mm -hmm. Those are the two that are just apparent to me off the top of my head right now. Um, mm -hmm. And um, it's um, that, that bass drum intro is ominous enough when you don't know what's coming. When you know what's coming, it's not mm -hmm. really ominous, it's thrilling. And you're right, and you know that the moment when it bursts into life, you know, when you experience that live, the just the dynamism, the reaction from the crowd, the explosive nature, because of that expectation, because we all know what's happening, and because of course live they kind of elongate it anyway, don't they? Just to ratchet up that tension even further. Um, you know, just that moment is. It, it, it if really I said is... something, if I said something to you, I'm going to ask you if you know what I mean by this. Um, when they're about to play that song live, and you're right that they're, they're, they're capable of like drawing out that introduction for mm. several minutes. Um, the smell in the room changes. Yeah, yeah. Well, it 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 it, it it's just. Um... It, it's got it's it's pheromones, isn't it? Basically, it's just you know that everybody's body is just pumping out chemicals of, yes. of adrenaline and exhilaration. Um, it's funny. It's funny you say that, Doc. Actually, yesterday I was watching um, the, the, the the one of the more recent um, episodes of a show called Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee. If you really that, Doc, <laughs> do you know what that is? No. It's Jerry Seinfeld. Um, it, it, it's kind of his latest show, and he's been doing it for about ten years now. And, and, and literally, he, he, he. I mean, the premise of the show: he drives a really flash car, um, and a different flash car. Well, not not necessarily actually, actually not always a flash car. He drives a different interesting car each week, and he goes and picks up a different comedian in the mm -hmm. car and the car is always kind of related to the comedian somehow and they go and and, and they just go and have a nice time together and it's very very oh. good 
Um, and, and the episode I watched yesterday was 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 Jerry Seinfeld and Eddie Murphy, right? And they went to a comedy club that they both performed at, and 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 you know, and they were talking about the fact that this you know this club was really really important to. But I, I can't remember the name of it, unfortunately. But 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 this club was really really important to both of their careers. Um, and they were talking about the fact that as you walk into a comedy club, there is a smell in the air that you get nowhere else you know and they were saying it it's not like the smell in um you know because you know they were kind of speculating is is it just kind of testosterone is it just kind of the smell of men basically and they said well no well no it's not because you don't get that smell in in locker rooms you know after a game of after a game of basketball you don't get that smell in in bars even after like a fist fight it is specific to a comedy club and they can recognise it. And, and I think we've got a similar thing going on here. You know, a metal gig, when, you know, Slayer about to play Rain in Blood, suddenly everybody's pumping out all these bloody endorphins, and it mm-hmm. becomes redolent in the air. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you know what I'm talking about there. Yeah. Because it's, it, it, I, I, I regard it as a material fact. The smell yeah. in the room changes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's 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 carry on because I'm I'm getting excited now. Yeah, well, we haven't even started the track doc. Let's go. So, I asked the question: Is is that the most you know, the famous um, bass drum pattern in metal. I mean, that has to be. Surely that, that, that that's the most famous riff in metal, isn't it? Surely. Um, yeah, I mean, in, in terms of um, what's the shortest possible clip from any song where anyone who knows their bones um, would be able to pick out the song. Uh, yeah. <laughs> anyone who knows metal. Yeah. Who's that? Or it's Slayer, isn't it? You know, don't it, even, you don't even need the guitar part. Just no, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, <coughs> but with but with the guitar part, Doc, what is it about that guitar line, the combo of of the drum pattern and the lead line? What is it, in your opinion, that makes it so visceral? Because that's the only word I can use to describe it. Um, I'm going to say four things in rapid succession. Now, when I threaten to you, when, when I threaten to say things in rapid succession, it never works out that way. So you've got to stay on top of me here. Okay. Um, sophisticated primitivism. Mm-hmm. Um, there is nothing complicated um, about that rhythm. Um, it's um, it's it's three hits. Yeah. It's three, it's three hits out of four. And dropping off the fourth and mistiming the guitar slightly um, makes it primitive and guttural and savage. Um, but at the same time catches you out. Um, mm. There's nothing natural about that interval of time. Mm-hmm. So it's immediately primitive and barbaric and naturalistic and wrong. Mm. Um, point number two, there's the guitar sound. Um, it's the guitar sound that everyone thinks of when they think of Slayer. That's what they think Slayer guitars sound like. But I can't remember Slayer guitars sounding like that before this track. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What, um, what do you mean, Doc? Because to me, it, it, it does sound exactly the same as 
you know, like, like the lead line in, in Ultra Sacrifice or, you know? Um, I think there's a bit more chorus in it. Do you? Yeah. I, so the, um, the, 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 there's more effect going on just to... Uh, is it to amplify the squeals, like the, the, the harmonics on the pick squeals? It's just to make it sound more tense. Yeah. Um, mixing chorus and distortion, just to add tension and oddity, is, mm. is very much a post-punk thing. If you mm. listen to um, Public, Public Image Limited, and uh, even more than that killing joke. Um, so using, using chorus and, and not overdrive, not metal distortion, but cheap, nasty punk rock distortion, mm. together with chorus, produces a very, a very chilling, a very inhuman effect. And I also think they're using transistor amps mm-hmm. on this track. Um, there's a complete lack of something that people always call warmth or the, the valve sound. Oh, yeah. Tinny or trebly is the wrong word, but it's... I don't know whether I want to say there are frequencies missing or there are groups of frequencies missing. Um, I'd be fascinated to run some of this and, and, and actually look at it with a spectrum analyzer um, or an oscilloscope, because there's, even though there's a range of frequencies there, there are bits missing in the middle of the frequencies. Um, and I put that down to cheap and nasty distortion plus chorus plus, and I'm convinced about this transistor amps. I think something you're forgetting as well, Doctor, is is, is the guitar technique, the, the the actual way the guys are, are playing those notes as individual notes. Because you know, if you play those notes clean, with no kind of um, what's the word? What what word can I use here? With with, with no kind of emotion, with no. Ah, you know, with, with, just with no kind of passion in the fingers, as it were. Yeah, I mean, th- th- that could sound so fucking boring, but just the way they, they you know, they, they they just get that kind of vib- almost like when you play guitar for a while, you, you become capable of rendering a a single clean note, something which which can be like heart rending or evocative. Just, just it's, by the way that, just by the way that you just kind of almost like vibrate your finger on the string subconsciously, and they are doing it to a level of mastery here that that, that is seldom heard. It's the difference between um, it's the difference between a really good guitarist like Jimi Hendrix and a cat handed copyist like Eric Clapton, isn't it? <laughs> um, so, I mean, We're going to get letters about that one, Doc. It's all right. Uh, bring, fucking bring it on. Bring it um, on. Yeah, we'll take them on. Don't worry. You know, you, you've, you've got one guy um, understands the emotion that it is um, he wants to communicate and um, is capable of doing that. And you've got the other guy who's done nothing but copied other people and copied their licks and chops. Mm. Um, no original idea of his own. Um, mm. And Yeah, uh, I bet you... Um, I bet you crapped and sat there for ages and ages and ages learning what watching how somebody watching the precise amount that somebody else put the bend on the A string or something like and watch and, and he could do it exactly the same but uh, of course he could never do it exactly the same way that they could mm. um, and it's you gotta um, feel it man you gotta feel it I, I mean fundamentally I, I, I don't know whether it comes to practice I don't know whether it's the intrinsic difference between a good musician and a bad musician I don't think I ever progressed far enough to even try and do something like that. 
and it, it's um, it is it, it's it's all in the bend, isn't it? It's all in the bend. It's all in the subtle. You know, you, you're literally just kind of vibrating the string, not even a millimeter. You know, like like a like a tenth of a millimeter, whatever measurement that would be, each way, really quickly, and you get this lovely, delicious warmth and squeal on it. Um, which you know, oh. I'm, of course, I'm not saying I can do it as well as them, but I can do it. Um, but but here, this is this is mastery of the craft, Doc. Let's just no doubt about it. Let's keep going. <laughs> just teasing us now aren't they you know we've had we've had that kind of monstrous opening you know the the, the ominous like doom doom inspiring dread not, not doom really dread inspiring opening and now they're just teasing us with that little gallop and you know something's going to happen but you don't quite know what has it ever occurred to you um this little section here this is witching hour by venom and but how Venom would have played it if they'd been capable of it. <laughs> <laughs> they could actually play their instruments. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's funny. Yeah, no, it's, it's true. But it, 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 because, it, 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 I mean, it is, it's, it's clinical. You know, it, it, there's, there's precision here. And you just know, they're kind of, you know, that, that they are lulling you into a false sense of security here, aren't they? Because, you know, so, suddenly we're in, we're in kind of Venom, Maiden kind of territory. Oh, Everything's going to be all right, in it, Doc? Yes. You know? It's almost what happens coming. next? Here we go. I mean, that's chaos, isn't it? That, that is total chaos, that riff there. That, 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 and, and I think they've repeated three times. It's chaos. What, what, what's going on? Right. I've facilitated around this a lot over the previous years and years and years. The first time I heard it, I thought it was chaos. Mm-hmm. Um, I was already used to chaotic music at that point, so that didn't bother me. Um, and there have been various times when I thought one of the three following things. Yes, it's chaos and it's intentionally so. Um, there's a structure there, and sometimes I have maybe fooled myself into thinking I can pick it out, or maybe I have been able to pick it out. Um, and then um, on other occasions, I really have thought to myself that like, even Slayer are pushing themselves beyond the bounds of, of, of speed and precision here. They're, mm-hmm. they're, they're, they're pushing themselves beyond what their real capabilities are. I agree with I, I agree with you, Doc. Um, I think. It is it it is chaotic. It is the one part of this track that I have never been able to play. Interesting, because I can't distinguish the riff. Yeah. Um. So um, I'm going to ask you to use your imagination and 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 make a call here. Was the one? Um. Well, I think there must be because because I think they're both playing the same thing. You know, I don't hear any 
disparity or discrepancy between what they're both playing. They're both playing the same thing, which to me suggests, well, 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 to me, it's like clear evidence that, that there is like a distinct structure and rift going on here. I just can't pick it out. I can hear yeah, the I odd. Mean, I can hear the odd kind of chord and I can generally kind of time it, but, but I, I really cannot, I, I cannot, I mean, you certainly can't hum it, can you, Doc? No. Is this one of these examples, and they're rare, but I do think they happen, of like almost menstrual synchronicity between two people, who, two musicians mm. who know each other very, very well. Mm. And even though they're both playing garbage, they can actually play the same garbage at the same time. Yeah. I, mean, it, I mean, it is possible. It is possible. And I mean, I suppose it's also possible that when they recorded it, you know, one of them did both lines. And then... But, you know, and and then live, they get they kind of get it close enough that it doesn't matter. Um, you know, I mean, I'm not, of course, I'm not accusing them of of cheating to that of cheating in that way, but it would it's a possibility. It, 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 I think it's Slayer's most frenetic riff. Yeah, and I mean, I think it's also worth bearing in mind that at this point in the '80s, um, there wasn't the studio perfectionism that there was by the end of the 90s and um if it uh, it's been a long time since we've talked about slayer's new record label um and working with mr rick rubin oh yeah um and i can imagine if they'd done a take of the track um and that part hadn't come out the way they planned it or whatever um, i can really imagine them just saying no that's cool that's that that sounds cool just leave it yeah, because he's live as fuck, isn't he? It sounds live as fuck for, yeah. for, for a studio album. That that, that that sounds like it's been recorded at Hammersmith, you know, the Hammersmith Odeon, basically. Yeah, I mean, it, it's this sort of wonderful period in, in, in music production where you had the advantage of very, very high quality equipment being mm-hmm. available for lots of money, but not millionaire money. Mm-hmm. Um but you didn't yet have the obsessive compulsive aspects of song production that I think came in with the start of the 2000s. Sure, um, sure. In that you know, fairly often um, bands and producers would come to an arrangement that something isn't perfect or something isn't quite the way we planned it, but fuck it, it's cool, so we'll let it slide for now. Yeah, yeah, I think it's a good point. It, it, it it's frenetic. It's absolutely chaotic, um, and I, I think it's absolutely appropriate. Let, let, let's press on dot because we we are an hour in and we and we're only one minute into the track. Here we go. Excellent, excellent riff, isn't it? You know, I think this this is this riff five, and and we two minutes in, Doc. You're aware of the expression "first impressions last." Mm. Uh, in this case, last impressions last. Mm. I'm becoming aware of the fact that my overall impression of this whole album 
um, largely comes from this song. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, I mean, the, the idea that it's, um, I won't say it's, I won't say it's, um, it's unpleasant to listen to, but you, this is a song that you, you do to yourself. You, you yeah. don't necessarily listen to this. Um, you approach this in the same way that you approach a really good session on the bench or mm. a really good hundred meter sprint. Mm. Um, you're proud of yourself for getting through it. It's not necessarily a thing you listen to for pleasure while it's happening. Does that make any sense either? Well, it, to- it totally does. It's a bit like, um, um, I mean, you use the example really, you know, the, the, the working out, I suppose, um, or, or going for a run, you know, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go, I'm going to go for, for, for a run. And you know, you, you, can, you know it's good for you, but you know it's going to hurt at the same time. Um, yeah. It's. <clears throat> I'm sorry, Doc. I'm a bit distracted because my my, my, my battery is <clears throat> is being a bit of a pain on my computer. Hold on. There we go. We've got it sorted. Um, and the, 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 it's it's in your face. It's a full frontal assault. It's deliberately confrontational, but I tell you what, there, there is there is kind of a disparity between the listening experience and the playing experience. That I mean, that last riff, that did do 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 I cannot tell you how great that is to play, and I think part of the reason is it is. I mean, it's not easy. But it's also not difficult. But fuck me, you look like a fucking guitar legend when you're playing it. It just looks so cool, <laughs> you know. But 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 it's not it's not actually that hard. So so it, it's just a good one to it's a good one to pull out the bag. Um, oh yeah. If, if if you kind of want to impress somebody a little bit, um, like but but raining blood, they're raining riffs at this point, Doc. <laughs> and. It's just about to get even better. Wait for this. just so monstrously cool it's difficult to put into words that that, that particular section there for me i mean that's um if some sort of stalinist government was planning to eradicate thrash from history <laughs> as if it had never been and you were allowed to keep five seconds of thrash mm-hmm. that's the five seconds you keep isn't it yeah it's 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 it, it, i think it's the greatest moment in metal ever just as Kerry starts hitting the the, 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 the power chords, and it's probably Jeff that hits the power chords, and then Kerry goes into that, that lead melody, which, of course, serves as the solo in this track, because there is no kind of proper solo in this sure. song. Um, that is the solo. Um, the, just that, that wonderfully dark, morbid dread-providing um, lead line. Good God, Doc. Good. 
what makes what makes the choice what what makes that so morbid what what what, what is there about the choice of notes um because i mean it, it, it's it's not merely in a minor key is it? It, it it's 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 kind of it's it's not even in a minor key but i mean i mean it certainly is minor key but i, I think it's just imagine imagine if you played it as open chords it'd be you know i mean how much more evil can you sound he's fleshing it out with with kind of single notes in between to make a melody out of it but there is just this um kind of morbidity to it um just this sense that that i think i think this song more than any song we've heard so far from them just gives the feeling that something dreadful is going on can you hear as i believe that i can there's some the the lead line is played slightly out of time mm-hmm. um some of the notes appear to be in front of where they should be and some of the mm-hmm. notes appear to be behind where they should be i think i think the reason i don't quite think that's true doc but i think i think i think what's giving you that impression is the fact is the fact that some of the notes have got that kind of harmonic squeal and so, and some do not, and so, and so that kind of resonates or does not resonate according to whether whether it's present or not. That would be that would be my that would be my explanation of that. Yeah. What do you think about that, Doc? Um, I'm all ears. I I, I um I am not nearly the musician that you are, so I I, I have far more questions than answers at the moment. And it, if if you think that's what it is, I'm perfectly happy to 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 agree with you. But because I think I think he's I think he's hitting the start of each bar at the same time as Dave is hitting the the bass drum, you know. So so I think he's totally in time, but it, it's just that it's it's it, it's the squeal. It's it, it's just those kind of harmonics that are going on that are giving that impression of kind of a, a slightly chaotic time signature. Yeah. Um. But 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 he you know he in terms of in terms of the movement of his fingers and and his wrist. On the guitar, it it is totally syncopated with the drums. I, I, I would say. Gotcha. I would say. Let's see what happens next, Doc, because I think it, I think it might just be about to go a little bit nuts. <laughs> Really, because that rain sound effect carries on for about another thirty seconds. I don't think we really, we really need to need to play the 
play it for its entirety. So, so, so there we go, guys. That's track 10, of course, uh, Raining Blood from the album Rain in Blood. Um, uh, I said there was no solo. Now, that bit at the end, I, I, I don't really count as a solo. That That's just a bunch of noise, isn't it, Doc? Um, yeah. Um, so um, what you've, you've, you've led me into what I was about to say, which is, in that last section there, you've got the wellspring of about the next seven or eight years worth of brutal death metal. Okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, all um, the incidental noise and the tremolo abuse, um, that would carry on into Morbid Angel. Sure. They would take oh, yeah. that and yeah, refine it. Point. Yeah, very, very good point. Yeah. Um, that very, very flat. Um, I think there's probably some compression or some sustain on the lead guitar during that final bit, where the, 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 there doesn't seem to be any decay. Mm-hmm. Um, and you get like an almost synthesizer kind of effect yeah. that would go on into um, the UK brutal death, so not brutal, the UK death. So that would go on into carcass and bolt thrower. Mm. I, I hesitate to use it. There's something approaching a funky bass line in there. You, know? <laughs> uh, you, you think Tom's getting on down? Well, it sounds that there's, there is there's something approaching. <laughs> the closest that Slayer ever get to a funky bass line in there. Um, and um, that that would that that goes on to influence Dear Side. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Seriously, listen to Dead by Dawn or mm. Lunatic of God's Creation mm. um, or possibly Trick and Betrayed. Mm. Um, and um, buried in there somewhere, you can hear some actually vaguely groovy bass lines. Yeah, 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 yeah. Pick one for me, Doc, and I'll, and I'll drop it in when I, when, when I do the edit. Um, I think dur- uh, during the middle section of Once Upon the Cross... All right, I'll go, all right, I'll go for that. I'll find it. come to the end of the album um you know we, we've just listened to probably the most uh, iconic of, of slayer's songs um what's your impressions doc come on give, give, give me something but i don't really know what to say other than that was fucking brilliant um not merely iconic um i've only just become aware of the fact that it's so influential that it's actually influenced my impressions of the whole entire album for over 30 years. Yeah. Um, thinking back, every idea that I had in my head about what Rain and Blood was like as a listening experience from one end to the other, um, actually what I'm remembering is that track. Yeah, and what, but- that tra- what that track does is basically erases your memories of everything you've been listening to for the previous half an hour. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, but you know what? It, 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 that's curious because... 
I think many people, and I think you've said this yourself as well, Doc. You know, the, the, the you know the overriding impression of this album is just kind of breakneck speed. But that that track is not guilty of that because there are clear dynamics at work here. Um, I never said there weren't dynamics, mm. um, but like what? Um, I can close the circle now. Um, I can elucidate this properly. Yeah. Um, I had the idea coming into this project that Rain and Blood was difficult. Um, and frankly, not. I had memories of it being very good and very intense, which obviously for me is the same thing. Yeah. Um, but um, it was like definitely the 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 thrush metal equivalent of like watching go going to watch King Lear or something. Mm. Uh, you know, you, you you go there expecting crushing emotional intensity, and you you. you you don't expect to be made particularly happy by the experience. Mm, mm. You expect to be a better person and a wiser person and a more enlightened human being after doing it, but you don't necessarily expect to be happy. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And I've been shocked and shocked and shocked again by how much fun huge chunks of Rain and Blood actually are. Um, and the only conclusion I can come to is that having that track at the end, um, time and time and time and time and time again, um, the impression of the album that I've come away with is actually my impression of that track. And yeah, you're absolutely right. There are dynamics, but I think the dynamics serve to highlight the breakneck speed and the intensity. They don't detract from it. You find that track more um, kind of challenging than Angel of Death, for example. Angel of Death being at the beginning, the album hasn't, worked, hasn't had half an hour to work on me. Of course, yeah. Mm-hmm. It, 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 um, it, it, the album hasn't hasn't kind of yet beaten you into submission effectively. Um, no, I mean it, it's it, it's still like one of those fights where you come out of your corner um, punching, and you know you, you can you can take this guy this time. Yeah, you, th you, th you think you've still got a chance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, all right, Doc. We need to move on to the lyrics at some point. Um, any any closing thoughts on on the music? No. Um, I don't think I have anything else particularly meaningful to say. No. Um, I have some stuff to say about the song in the context of the album, which we'll mm -hmm. save for the for, for the roundup episode. I think we will. Yeah, next week, basically. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Well, yeah, we'll, we'll close it out there. Welcome to part three of the show. Um, we're going to go through the lyrics now, Doc. There's not many actually for this track, um, and I've broken them down into three separate parts. So here's part one. Trapped in purgatory, a lapless object alive, awaiting reprisal. Death will be there, our quittance. Sky is turning red, return to power, toss near. Fall to me, the sky's gripped in tears, a monster rules me a stone. Trapped in purgatory, a lifeless object alive, awaiting reprisal. Death will be their acquittance. The sky is turning red. Return to power draws near. Fall into me. The sky's crimson tears. Abolish the rules made of stone. Oh, good lord! I mean, the, I mean, the lyrics are absolutely excellent to go along with the music, in my opinion, Doc. What do you make of these? Um, they're very. Uh, I mean, there's there's not a hint of cheese. There's, yep. there's, there's not a hint of whimsy or cheese. Mm. Um, what are we to make of them? Um, a lifeless object alive, mm. uh, I think, is a, a, a clear Lovecraft reference. 
Give me more there, Doc. Oh, um, in, in, in his house at Rilea, Great Cthulhu lies dead but dreaming. Um, I was thinking that a lifeless object alive, my interpretation there was either somebody kind of, um, somebody either kind of like themselves trapped in purgatory, because it's, that's the first line, or could it be um, again, almost kind of echoing the last track, actually, the epidemic? You know, it, is this that same guy um, that was... According to my tale from the last track, is this the same guy in the squalid studio flat? Um, you know, the, 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 his life is lifeless, and yet he is still alive. Yeah, um, I think it, this, um, it's not even the first time we've, we've we've come across a theme like this in in player mm. lyrics. Mm -hmm. um, there's a, a preoccupation. Not a preoccupation. There's there's a very vague preoccupation that's popped up once or twice with some part of the human condition that that, that leaves you alive but insensible. Somehow. Sure. Mm -hmm. um, I, I don't even mean that, actually, Doc. I, I, I don't think in, I don't mean insensible. I mean he's alive, but you know, kind of in his opinion, his life is a non-life. You know, like a non. He's existing rather than living. Yeah. Um, oh, right, so the, the subject of the song is not actually clinically dead yet. No, 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 it, 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 you know, it could be me or you. You know, it, if our lives were terrible and we were yeah. kind of suicidal and, you know, we wanted to end it all, then, you know, at that point in our existence, we are, we, we are still alive and yet we are lifeless in, in, in some kind of way. We don't have too much time if we're going to get into our time limit. And I think these lyrics will be well worth revisiting when we try and put together a, a, a sort of coherent philosophy a, a, across the album next week. Um, I so I I do, sorry, Doc. I think for I think for this for, for this track and kind of as with Jesus Saves, I don't think we should we should worry too much about time actually because you know it, it is such like an iconic such an iconic song. I, I think we just go for it. What do you reckon? Okay. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so what do you make of the line, awaiting reprisal? Well, I think, well, well it depends, doesn't it? You know, if it is, oh God, something terrible, something has just fallen over. Hold on. Sorry, listeners. Um, let me sort this out. There we go. Um, awaiting, awaiting reprisal. Well, there's a double meaning here, isn't there? You know, it, it, if it is somebody, if we are, if we are really, if, if, if we take it literally, trapped in purgatory, you know, there's, there's some kind of, you know, it's somebody kind of waiting to exact some kind of revenge on, hev on, on, on heaven or on hev heavenly creatures and deities. But it, or if we take it figuratively, um, you know, this, the, the, this, this, this man who is in his studio flat, you know, I keep going back to this squalid studio flat, it's him in his studio flat, and he's kind of exacting vengeance on the world by by taking his own life, really, by punishing those people that never gave him the time of day. And he's hoping that they will be kind of racked with guilt by his act of suicide. Interesting. I don't think I would ever have come to that conclusion by myself. Mm. 
Um, if you remember, we, we, we disagreed um, a little bit. Yeah. Um, my idea of the last track, um, my version of the guy's motivation for committing suicide was yeah. to um, commit this blasphemy against God. Um, oh. Suicide being apparently one of the, one of the worst blasphemies. Um, and so put himself beyond the reach of being resurrected. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, like what, whatever else is going to happen to him, he's not going to be resurrected and lined up for more abuse. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and awaiting report. I'm also going to float past you the idea that the the members of Slayer haven't quite understood the meaning of reprise. I think they've slightly conflated it with a reprise, mm-hmm. um, meaning to to or reprise, meaning like Do to come again. back. Yeah, yeah to come uh-huh. back for another go. Sure, sure. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah, I mean, that's in, that, that, very interesting. Move on to the next, next line, Doc. Death with their acquittance. What's your interpretation there? How does that, how does that link? Um, well, once again, you, you, you've got a couple of different meanings you can use here. Um, acquittance, um, so in other words, having, um, having had a court decide that you're not guilty. Mm. Or having had a court decide that there were really no charges for you to answer. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, or so, another interpretation is how well you have completed the task that was given you. Mm-hmm. Um, he was seen to acquit himself well in this task. Of course. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, which 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 one are we talking about here? And and, and who's uh, who who is the there? There. That that was my question actually. Who who's the there again? Just with the last track, we have this kind of interesting, almost like a there's an audience of of some sort, isn't there? Yeah. Or does the there refer to actually a um, a group of people? who are being referred to by the first three lines. Because, I mean, th- this, is, this is the first, th- this there, that's the first declension we've had in the song at all. Um, it's the first part of speech um, that tells us how many people are involved, what people are involved, mm-hmm. um, what's the subject of the sentence, what's the object of the sentence. That's a, and that, that, that's, that's a lot of words to go through without any declension or any conjugation at all. My interpretation here, death with their acquit- their acquittance. Acquittance, you know, we, we can interpret it to be like the first time that we learn of something, um, you know, the, our first experience or knowledge of something. So <clears throat> death will be their acquittance. So as he kills himself in this squalid studio flat, that's yeah. the first time that these motherfuckers that have made his life so miserable, that's the first time they realise what's, what's actually going on, you know, what, what, what damage they've been causing. Yeah. Um, here's yet another idea. So if we accept the fact that Slayer are um, consciously or unconsciously using this, re- this, this, this word reprisal um, when what they want you to think of is the word reprise, mm. uh, in other words, another chance, are they using this word acquittance um, either under the impression or purposefully mistaking it for some conjugation of quit? Mm-hmm. So to stop doing it, um, to leave, to turn your back, to walk away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. 
Yeah, and that, but that's and that still fits in with my theory. Really, yeah. you know, the, 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 so the, the, when he dies, that's the moment they will stop doing what they're doing effectively. Um, does it not? If we accept, I'm, first I'm off on one. Doc. I'm off on one. Doc. I don't think I'm right. I'm, I, I, you know, I, I'm just kind of, uh, I'm just kind of playing that devil's ad advocate for the sake of entertainment. To be fair, no, this is fine. This is really interesting because mm. I've got three different possible interpretations, three different possible meanings. Mm -hmm. I have no idea which, if any, were the meaning that the band intended. And mm -hmm. so, I mean, if, if if you can help me arbitrate, mm. um, that would be greatly useful. Mm. Um, go for the last four lines, Doc. Here, the sky's turning red. Return to power draws near. Well, go for those two lines to begin with. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm going to say absolutely awesome. You know, just almost like continuing the the the, the continuing like the biblical story for me. This is um, return to power draws near. You know, to me, this is like invoking Satan's fall from grace. And because of the, the whatever's happening in this song, you know, Satan is, 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 is going to become more powerful. And, you know, he, he, his rise to power is, is approaching effectively. Yeah. So um, by his act of suicide, has, mm. has, has the subject of the first four lines, um, has, has he actually brought about the resurrection of Satan? I mean, that's that's the way that I'm looking at it, basically. That that's the way that I'm seeing it. Somehow, yes. whether it's for, whether it's for real or whether it's just in his head, this character believes that by taking his own life, his miserable, squalid life, he's somehow going to <clears throat> overthrow heaven. And the first kind of step towards that is spilling his blood with that ligature. That that tourniquet yeah, yes. that, that, that we that we that, that was talked about in the last song, his blood a bit like you know the scene in Hellraiser where the guy spills his yeah. blood on, on the floorboards and, and Frank returns to life. I think it's the same kind of thing here, but instead of it being kind of the the guy's scary uh, young uh, younger brother, it's the dark one himself, Doc. No, without wanting to make light of this too much, because it's not a subject to make light of. Um, in your opinion, mm -hmm. would Satan, would, would, would this upset the cosmological balance so much? Um, I mean, don't, don't lunatics and drug addicts and alcoholics kill themselves all the time? Yeah. Um, yeah. Would, would, would this make a great deal? I mean, would Satan really be there on his, 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 his subterranean um, throne? Um, rolling his eyes, going, "Oh Jesus Christ! Another lunatic has committed suicide in my name." Am, am, am I supposed to be impressed? But like, is, mm. is that supposed to make me do something? I take your point because you know, because of course, every day, I imagine you know, hundreds of hundreds of people die in very unfortunate conditions, circumstances like this. But what if this guy is special for some reason? You know, what if he's been marked out for some reason that's that's not really, not even kind of elaborated on. This guy is the chosen one for some reason, um, and 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 his death marks the ascension of Satan to to conquer heaven um, for, for for whatever reason that happens to be. I'm going to suggest something to you here. Go on, uh, this guy's suicide, the spilling of this guy's blood, mm. is the final one gram of critical mass that's required. Mm -hmm. And the reason I've said that is because we've 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 got some obvious we've got some obvious nuclear war imagery here as well. Go on. 
Oh, the sky's uh, turning red. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, um, abolished the rules made of stone. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what's the nuclear reference there, Doc? Because to me, that, that that's a clear reference to the Ten Commandments. Um, I'm um, assuming it's rules, just referring to structures, things that are set in stone. Oh yeah. Uh, what's the only force on the surface of the earth that's capable of melting stone? Mm-hmm. Yeah, good point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, I don't think it's about a nuclear war. I don't think it's about nuclear weapons per se. Um, I, I'm going to draw the very, very tenuous assertion that this one particular guy's death is the final gram of uranium-235 that you need to achieve critical mass. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I Maybe. I agree. I, I agree in principle. That I think the difference between your take and mine, I think that this guy's blood is the last drop of blood necessary to invoke the, the, the rise of Satan, basically. Yeah, um, so probably I didn't explain myself very well somehow, but that's pretty much exactly what, like, maybe, I don't know, maybe 100 million suicides have been necessary to yeah. restore Satan to power. yeah. Um, and this is the last one. And it's now the last one. It, 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 it's the straw on the camel's back, effectively. Yes. Yeah, 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 I get it. Falling to me, the sky's crimson tears. You tell me, Doc, if there is a more beautiful poetic line in any metal song that's ever been written. I don't think there is. It's absolutely wonderful, isn't it? Falling to me, the sky's crimson tears. Wow. I think any 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 poet would be proud of that. Yeah, um, it is. It's 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 a beautiful line. I mean, it's it's even better than choked for a joke <laughs> with a rope. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it, I mean, you know that that it 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 takes a lot to get more impressive than that. Uh, yeah, no, I, 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 I get an indigestion as I'm chewing on your intestine. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, if it, 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 it takes a lot to impress me more than take the eyes, take the head, leave them all for dead. Ugh. But, but there is, there, there's great beauty to that line, that line isn't there? Um, yeah, it really is. But you don't think that that made of stone thing, it abolished the rules of me. You don't think that is like a direct reference to the commandments? Um, because it I is, do. It is in part a reference to the Ten Commandments. Mm-hmm. Um, there are references to rules in stone, um, cities in stone, cities made of sand. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think it, we're into general poetic territory. Yeah. Um, the one reason that makes me think it's not the Ten Commandments is that there's there is no reference to violating any of the Ten Commandments in any of these lyrics. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no reference to, um, if I remember correctly, there's no explicit prohibition against suicide in the Ten Commandments. There are prohibitions against um, adultery, theft, murder, um, covetousness. And apart from anything else, that the, the Ten Commandments were... Um, given as a gift from God for the governance of Israel. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think they have anything to do with Satan's role in the world. Sure, sure. I, I think it's just an excuse for, um, you know, for, for, for Hanuman to be 
absolutely as blasphemous as he possibly can be. Sure. Yeah. That's my interpretation, basically, really. Um, anything else to say on, on this first part, Doc, or, or should we move on to the, to the next four lines? Let's move on to the next four lines and see if we can elucidate the first eight. below souls of my treacherous past betrayed by many now ornaments dripping above awaiting the hour of reprisal your time slips away <sighs> pierced from below souls of my treacherous past i mean again it is it is wonderfully evocative I'd, and uh, uh, this is a guy in his studio flat he has deluded ideas of grandeur that somehow his <clears throat> the, the, the taking of his own life is going to invoke the you know the the, the rise of the dark lord and, and and the overthrow of heaven above basically um and in his mind he can see you know the the cherubs the angels, the holy creatures that, that, that live in heaven. And he is literally imagining kind of stabbing and jabbing at them with, 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 with vile weapons from, from, from his earthly plane. That's my interpretation, Doc. Um, can you cast your mind back to the song Let's Fucking Die by Impaled Nazarene? Fucking, let's fucking die. I mean, the, the, the bit I remember is, is when he goes, let's fucking die. <laughs> that's what yeah. I remember. <laughs> yeah. um, it's interesting because, I mean, that's that's a song that's very explicitly about the stuff you're talking about. And mm. I, 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 um, I think there's one section, um, Impaled Nazarene, of course, being not speaking English as their first language. Um, and uh, I think that there is a verse which says, I bought pack of glue, sniffed it all at full moon. I, I can smell angels burning. Let's die. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I, think that, yeah. I, I think that's immediately before um, he introduces the solo by saying, show them, Dave. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I do remember that. Yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah. Um, uh, and, and then the second line, betrayed by many, now ornaments. Ornament, what a great word. What a Jeff Hanneman, I love you. What a great word to, to drop in there. Now ornaments dripping above. So you know, so so these kind of these kind of heavenly creatures that have been stabbed and jabbed and prodded in a most uncomfortable fashion, presumably are now lifeless and, and rendered as ornaments to his deranged mind. Um, is ornaments, um, we, we, we had a, a, a very graphic allusion in, in, in the previous song to um, this guy, presumably after he's, he's, he's hung himself using some piano wire or something, mm, mm. Um, and presumably like now, now suspended and swinging in a vaguely ornamental fashion. Um, I'm also drawn to think of, because um, I'm sure this must have been out by now, the section in um, Hellraiser, uh, yeah. which you alluded to earlier on, mm -hmm. 
the ornaments dripping above very explicitly make me think of, um, do you remember the big wooden pillar thing with the rusty nails sticking out of it? I do, of um, course, yes, who, who can forget? And after you've been dismembered by the, um, the puzzle box, mm. um, the bits of you ended up, end, end up skewered on this, 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 this rotating wooden pillar. Yeah, but, but I would suggest to you, Doc, that the influence is inverted because Hellraiser was 89, 88 or 89, so at least two years after this album came out. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Again, ma- 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 you know, maybe there is a common um, source of influence, or maybe, or maybe Clive Barker just, you know, heard a bit of Slayer. You never know. It's distinctly possible. It certainly is, isn't it? You know, give, 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 you know, given the subject matter of, of his writings and scribings, uh, yeah, it, it definitely is possible. What are your thoughts, here, Doc? I've, I feel like I'm dominating a little bit. That's all right. I mean, I, 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 I do my share of discipline and domination. Mm. <laughs> um, it's, 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 it's not completely unheard of. Um, <clears throat> if this is too early to have been influenced by Hellraiser, then mm. I, th- th- there's, there's got to be um, there's got to be a common source of influence. Because I mean, once again, that this this line pierced from below, souls yeah. of my treacherous, uh, and I mean. I, I think I think that I'm I'm, I'm, I'm interrupting you. It's just because I'm so bloody excited. Um, yeah. I think isn't isn't that just kind of looking just looking at kind of like like Dante esque artwork and 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 you know you know they're, 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 you know there are creatures kind of suspended in 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 in, in like the demonic clouds and literally you know there will there will be things below them jabbing spears into them. Isn't that the image? Um, yeah, I mean, it could also be a reference to the um, the Roman soldier um, who sticks his spear into Christ's belly to see if oh, he yes. bleeds or not, to, to, to find out if, he, if, if he's dead yet. Oh, yes, very good. Um, uh-huh. It could be a reference to um, that bit in, I think, possibly the second Friday the 13th film, um, <laughs> where there's... <laughs> wow, wow, we, 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 we've gone from Clive Barker and the Bible... You know, I think I think two tones that I would put on the same level, and then and then suddenly we're into Friday the Thirteenth. Well, as above, so below. Absolutely, we're, we're pursuing the Slayer cosmology here. Um, <laughs> low culture um, is nothing but high culture inverted. That's true. They, they mirror each other. Yeah, um, no, you're right. I, I, I always assume that um, that bit where Kevin Bacon is having a shag on the top. Bunk, oh yes, some bunk beds, but then somehow doesn't realise that Jason fucking Voorhees, <laughs> all six foot eight and two hundred pounds of him, is hiding on the bottom bunk, ready to <laughs> ready to pierce him from below with a harpoon. Ah, but you're but you're making a fatal mistake there, Doc. You are conflating later Friday the Thirteenth with the initial Friday the Thirteenth movie, because of course. Kevin Bacon died in Friday the 13th, part one, in which case it would have been Mrs. Mrs. Voorhees. <laughs> perfectly, perfectly plausible she crawled under the bed. Come on, Doc. <laughs> <laughs> um, full confession to all of those readers, who are uh, all of those listeners, who are now shrieking, you clueless fuckwit, at me <laughs> for, for not knowing my Friday the 13th. Um, I mean, you were gonna, you were going to find out sooner or later. I'm coming to the doc's defence. I'm, I'm pretty sure we. I'm pretty sure at some point or another we we have watched every single one of those fucking films together. So you've definitely but, watched a lot. 
they just all start to look the same. They do. For they a do. While. I mean, they do. Um, I can remember the one where it turns out that Jason is a slug. <laughs> I, I, um, I mean, by then, I think you, 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 you get into kind of part nine or part ten, I think, by then, Doc. So um, I, think, I think even diehard, even diehard Voorhees fans <laughs> lose a bit of patience by then. Um, I know people who can tell what film they're watching from the patterns on Jason's mask. Oh, good God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, I'm, I'm sure that's true. I'm sure that's true. Yeah, and uh, I know people who can tell which actor is playing Jason from, like his 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 general shape and build, his um, gait. Yes. So yeah. uh, I mean, I, I I know I've just like broken one of the the unbreakable, unforgivable rules of um, trash culture, and I, yeah. I, I I don't know my Friday the Thirteenth films. Don't worry, at no some wonder. point, at some point, I have ingested enough cheap beer to have sat through all of them. <laughs> that doesn't mean I can tell one from the other. <laughs> Let's get back on track. Here we go. So, awaiting the hour of reprisal, your time slips away. So, the reprisal of, of who? Well, once again, let's ask ourselves the question, what is this reprisal in the same context? Is it the same meaning as its first use in the song? Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm still going to stick with this idea that, that they've purposefully or otherwise conflated the meaning of reprise and reprisal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, because this, this is a clear, a clear reference to coming back. When you scan the line, it doesn't sound like someone taking reprise. It isn't, sound like taking reprisals in the way that an occupying army takes reprisals on the civilian population for the murder of one of their own. You know, I just revert back to to my thesis here. This is the guy, I did it, I like a stuck record, it's the guy in the studio flat mm-hmm. and he is, in his mind, he's jabbing at these kind of angelic forms that in, in his mind are the, are the people that have done him wrong um, and he, to him, he, he's, he's exacting punishment on them because he knows that his death, when it finally comes, is going to invoke the, the, the rise of Satan and the reprisal on these people that have done him wrong, that have led him to this point, will be complete, Doc. Right. So let me run past you if I've got the meaning of reprise. Um, reprisals are carried out by the people or the organisation already in the position of power? No, well, I don't think so. I, I, I think okay. a, a, a reprisal would be, if you did me wrong, Doc, and then I did something back to you as kind of like some kind of vengeance, that is my reprisal, isn't it? I'll take your word for it for now. Um, I There's a distinct possibility. I, I, I've, I've been misunderstanding the use of the word reprisal. Should we, should, should we do a bit of um, should we do a bit of live? Um, we, we, we like to do this from time to time, don't we? A bit yeah. of live, a bit of live research, doc. Reprisal meaning. Here we go. An act of retaliation, basically. Yeah. An act of retaliation. That, 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 and that was my that that, that that was my interpretation of it. So so this guy has been wronged in his life. He thinks that 
you know, by taking his own life, he's going to he's going to force the the rise of Satan, and there and therefore reprisal on on the ones that did him wrong will be enacted. Um, <clears throat> here's an interesting definition from. Uh, um, can't tell you which dictionary it's actually from. Um, from the phrasing, I'm going to guess Merriam-Webster. Yeah. Um, so the forcible seizure of a foreign subject or their goods as an act of retaliation. Say it again for me, Doc. The forcible seizure of a foreign subject or their goods as an act of retaliation. Yeah, but it, it's still got that sense of retaliation, hasn't it? You know, sure. somebody's done something wrong to you, and so you do something as revenge, basically. It's interesting, because um, I... I don't know where I got this impression from. Um, I always imagined reprisals were punching down. Ooh, no, 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 no I, I, I don't think that's inherent. Right. I, I mean, I, I think, of course it could be, but, but I don't think that is implicit in the word. Oh. I don't think so. I don't think so. Um, Slayer lyrics taught you something about English grammar. Imagine that. There we go. You go and you go and ab, you go and abnegate yourself, Doc. You um, you deserve it. I will. I will subject my ego to a thorough abrogation. <laughs> Anything else going on here, Doc? In in, in this little part. Um, your time slips away. Who's this? Your. Well, I, I, I think it's kind of the, the you know, the, these people that have done him wrong, that right. they're kind of skipping around as, as if their fucking life is perfectly fine. And he's saying to that, well, in, in his mind, he's thinking, you know, you, you, your time's, you, you know, your time's coming, man. My reprisal is at hand. <laughs> yeah. What do you reckon? It's possible. Let's move on to the last four lines. Raining blood from a lacerated sky, bleeding its horror, creating my structure. Now I shall rain in blood. Now, you tell me, Doc, is there a better vocal couplet, lyrical couplet in metal than raining blood from a lacerated sky? Um, absolutely not. It's, it, 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 it's iconic, isn't it? That, that line is so potent. This fourth line um, almost, almost makes me want to say that we're both completely wrong about mm. um, the whole entire meaning um, of the song, and I think it's supposed to catch you out. Mm -hmm. um, there's no record of Satan wanting to create a structure mm -hmm. in the ruins mm -hmm. of a devastated world. Yeah. The, being, the being in religious in, 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 in the study of religion who is going to create a structure in the ruins of a desolated world is um, is God. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, there is the explicit statement of the the, the, the the building or the the appearance of the heaven of, of the heavenly Jerusalem. My interpretation, Doc. Mm -hmm. The the guy in the squalid studio flat. You know, imagining this, the, 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 the raining this terror on, on 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 these kind of angelic creatures. He's imagining this this, this blood. So so he's killing himself, and at the same time, 
you know, he's, he's kind of punishing the, 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 these creatures and he's imagining that when he's when, when the life leads, leaves his body, their blood is going to rain down on him and effectively reanimate him as some kind of whether he thinks he's going to be Satan's Satan personified on Earth. I don't know that, but 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 he certainly thinks he's going to be kind of part of Satan's army on Earth. That's the way that I look at that. It's a bit like um, you know, he doesn't think he's going to be a golem, but it's that kind of golem kind of idea. I think. Yeah, that line has fifty percent made me reverse my opinion completely, and I'm almost beginning to think it's about the crucifixion because so much of the imagery fits so very very nicely. Um, if you imagine it's a sort of a, a, a particularly black moment. Um, during the Passion. I'm not saying I'm all the way there. I'm not saying I'm completely convinced of this theory. I'm saying it's a candidate, which I'm taking mm -hmm. as seriously as any other at the moment. Mm -hmm. um, assuming I'm wrong, um, I want your opinion on this. Assuming that you're right, and the song is about this, this, this guy committing suicide with the intention of being the vessel by which Satan is reborn. Are we supposed to imagine there is a true supernatural component to this song? In other words within the larger universe, within the larger Slayer cosmology, is this guy's suicide likely to bring back Satan? Um, or is he just pathetic and delusional? Well, um, and I, th I think it's the second part. I, d I don't think it's going to happen. I think it's in his head. Yeah. That, 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 that would be my interpretation of it. I think, the, I think this guy's totally delusional. It's, it's, yes. it's not reality. Talk up very, very quickly. How many songs on this album have a supernatural content and how many don't? And I think we should do that before the next episode. Oh, yeah, that, that, that's a really good point. Yeah, but when, when I do the edit, I will, I will make a note of that and, I, and, 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 and I, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll go through it and I'll come back with the numbers, basically. Yeah, because I, I don't think there's many, are there? I don't think so either. Yeah. There's right at the beginning of this album... Um, we, we, we toyed with the idea that there's, there's, there's one line um, in Angel of Death that, that, that may or may not um, convoke supernatural content, and we decided that it didn't. Um, I think there's almost no songs on this album that undisputedly have supernatural content. Mm. Mm. It, it's a great point. Yeah, it, 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 and, and Matt... I think that is something that we we'll, that we will see um, continuing, you know, as the albums progress. I think like the supernatural stuff, the the overt supernatural stuff, is it really is from the first two albums, and and, and you know as they progress, they they do try to ground it a little bit more. Maybe they just think feel feel it's a bit kind of juvenile and silly, really. Well, it, it, it's, it's interesting because it's, it's always been um, debatable. Um, I remember going a long way back to halfway through the first album, um, and I, I, I believe it was Face the Slayer. Um, <laughs> and I insisted it was a song that was actually about homosexual panic oh, yeah. uh, on your first trip into the big city um, and getting lost in a dodgy neighbourhood. Um, and... Um, basically being concerned about uh, being, being worried about being raped mm. um, and um, you replied that you thought it was about a demon and another demon <laughs> yeah it, 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 it is intriguing isn't it? yeah it is but, but, but you know 
I think I think one of the great things about Slayer's lyrics is that they're either so sophisticated or so unsophisticated that you can read yes. them in many many ways. Oh, absolutely. Um, you know. And 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 sometimes they're both in the same song. <laughs> um, I, I love this line, creating my structure again. I mean, again, that brings the Hellraiser stuff to mind, which we, again seems to confirm that either either um, Clive Barker was a big fan of this song, or there is kind of a common source. Um, you yeah, know, I mean, that, it's the blood. Line... The blood. The blood creates the structure of. Of, of Frank, doesn't it? In, yeah. in Hellraiser, it, 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 it's this. It's this, isn't it? Um, it would appear to be. Yeah, I mean, if if we assume that the 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 lesser, that the sky um, is the the ceiling of the basement or the ceiling of the crawl space, exactly. Um, where um, the the the, the of what was once Uncle Frank, mm-hmm. um. And there's there's evidently a shared source. Yeah, I think so. Well, again, you know, you know, maybe we're doing Slayer a disservice. And maybe the source is this song. Maybe Clive Barker got it from this track. Um, maybe he did. Um, would you happen to know? Is Clive Barker known to be bashful about revealing his sources? Because I mean, I, I remember when the Books of Blood came out and. Every single review you read about Books of Blood, um, the word that evidently people had been... Every reviewer used this word with such monotonous frequency that it, it had been prompted in the... It clearly been prompted in the press pack, and the word they, they used all the time was ferociously original. Oh, yes. Okay. They couldn't, mm-hmm. they, they couldn't stop saying that. Mm. Um, it was um, the most original, the most ferociously original, the first completely original horror I've read in. Mm. Um, mm. And... Um, we assume from this that, for right or wrong, Clive Barker very, very clearly wanted to be thought of as having no influences. Yeah. Um, there's also the possibility that um, at this time in history, what Clive Barker wanted was for people to think that his influences weren't the cock-obvious ones that horror writers have been trotting out for the previous hundred years. Sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, here's a horror writer who gets his material not from Bram Stoker and not from um, Dennis Wheatley. Mm. Uh, sure, he's got influences, but this, of course, being in the days when Slayer were a scary artifact of the underground, every bit as much as Clyde Barker was. Of course. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, do, I don't think it's utterly implausible that that, that that he encountered them and read the lyrics and thought, fuck me, that's brilliant. Yeah. It's, it's not beyond the realm, realms of possibility, is it? No, not at all. Um, and um, I don't know, and I don't know if there's any way that we can find out how seriously or otherwise Slayer were taken by the the cool underground mm. Um I mean, Slayer were taken seriously enough by the cool underground to be invited onto the same record label as Public Enemy and the Beastie Boys. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, they, 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 mean, they had a cachet for sure, didn't they? Yeah. I mean, they they weren't they weren't thought of as laughable metal cheese and um, big hair and tight trousers. No. No, you're right, Doc. Doc, anything else to say? I really don't. Um, no. I think for maybe only the third time ever, you and I are not going to completely agree about the meaning of these lyrics. And you know mm-hmm. what? 
that's fine. It's great, isn't it? Yeah, it's great. Now, I've got a little bit of something up my sleeve here. Now, I have to tell you, Doc, and, and this is my honest, honest truth. I made all of my notes about the lyrics before I read what I'm about to read you. OK, you oh. have to take my word for that. Here's what Slayer say about what this song means. OK, the first time we've done this, isn't it? Yeah. Because this is the first Slayer track that I've encountered that has a Wikipedia page all to itself, Doc. Oh, my goodness me. How about that? <laughs> Here we go. So what Slayer say? Hanneman. Explain and, and, and I've just copied the bit where they're talking about the meaning of, of the song. Um, Hanneman explained that it's about a guy who is himself in purgatory because he was cast out of heaven. He's waiting for revenge and wants to fuck that place up. That's, that's <laughs> Jeff Hanneman's explanation. Okay. There you go. And then Kerry King says, because they wrote the, the this is a, a co write for the lyrics. Um, Kerry King later said that the rest of the song explains what happens when he starts fucking people up. <laughs> oh, they're very eloquent aren't they, when they speak, aren't they? Um, the lyrics, Return to Power Draws Near, is because he's waiting to get strong enough to overthrow heaven and then fall into me, the sky's crimson tears, is everybody's blood flowing into him. So basically, raining blood is all the angels' blood falling on him. It's it, it, it's Frank, isn't it? It's Frank. It's Hellraiser, man. Definitely, um, it, it, it's crazy. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's part of that sort of little subset, um, and it's. I think this is an eighties thing. Um, it's a turning point in horror and horror fiction. Mm. Um, where for the first time it was possible to think, uh, uh, it was possible to imagine the bad guys winning. Sure. Um, I mean, the the one rule about horror fiction, no matter how extreme up until then, was the bad guys had to lose. Of course, yeah, that's quo, true. The status quo had to be restored. Mm -hmm. um, and um, yeah, uh, the forces of the the, the the forces of good had to win. Yeah. Um, yep. Even in so, things like The Devil Rides Out, where it was seen to be acceptable that the forces of good might use the forces of darkness to defeat the forces of darkness, but the forces of good had to win. And then, um, once again, I don't know where this starts. Mm. Um, it might even be something like Night of the Living Dead. But mm. <clears throat> from the late 60s onwards, you got an increase in cynicism that it seemed possible that the bad guys might win, largely because I think with ac increased access to media and increased access to world current affairs, it became more and more obvious to more and more people that actually, you know, quite frequently the bad guys do win. And you layer on top of that, we're now in our fifth year of operational Reaganomics. <clears throat> um, we're now a long way into the 80s um, and the bad guys are winning all the time. Yeah. Um, I'd say by this point in history, there's actually very little evidence that the good guys ever do win. Yeah, well, by this point, we, we, we've all learned, haven't we, because of, uh, what's his name? Some, is it Gordon Gecko? Greed is good, yes. effectively. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, on, on, on quite a small-scale social level, um, fucking people over, taking their stuff, 
and casting them into ruination and purgatory is 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 nothing that you should be ashamed of, and nothing mm. you should feel bad, nothing you should feel bad about. Mm. Um, on the global political level, um, we already know that monsters like Idi Amin and Pol Pot get mm-hmm. away, yeah, um, without notionally any kind of justice being served on them. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, we're 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 at a point of history where the bad guys seem to win so much more frequently. Mm. And yeah, we'll 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 see this taken up in hip hop very very shortly. Um, that in the general narrative of hip hop, um, the positive Afrocentrics don't win. Um, the gangsters start to win. Sure, sure. Um, the mm-hmm. people who take the, the the people who take what they want. Um, from those two weeks to defend themselves, the people who start to win um, in the narrative of hip of, of hip hop, and also in the actuality of hip hop as well. It, it, and of course, it, it's the aspect of. I like a bit of hip hop, but but it is the aspect of hip hop that I find most uncomfortable. Is this kind of, you know, the, the deification of the dollar, effectively. Well, yeah, and just that line you just quoted, but effectively you start to draw a trajectory through a movie like Wall Street. Mm. Um, and you, you just keep drawing that straight line to more and more ludicrous successes. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, Gordon Gecko became an idol for a generation of yuppies yeah. um, because it became acceptable to be greedy. Um, yeah. I mean, let's not also lose sight of the fact that um, when you watch that movie now, um, you just end up thinking to yourself, well, um, he is an asshole, but um, Gordon Gecko is still the only character in the film you end up with any, with, with, with any admiration for. Mm-hmm. I mean, Oliver Stone must have been absolutely appalled, hadn't he? This kind of satire, this, this, kind, of, this, this kind of satirical character that he, that, 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 that he created became a role model to everything that he despised. Yeah, um, and I mean, it's... You've, you've got to think about Oliver Stone's conception of Gordon Gecko is very like, um, we'll say, Milton's conception of Satan. Mm-hmm. Um, Milton would have been horrified at the idea that he was a Satanist, mm-hmm. um, but somehow he managed to create this uniquely attractive Satan who's sure. done far, who's, who's done far more than uh, and Milton's conception of Satan has done far more than any other writers to make Satan into an attractive figure. Sure. Um, and I mean. Oliver Stone is, is is self-aware enough to know what he's doing when when he wrote a character that charismatic mm. um, and that well written, and when he hired an actor as good looking and charismatic as that, he must have known. Uh, he he must have been aware of the bucket of petrol that he was smoking around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He he knew the risk, didn't he, Doc? Yeah. Should we move on for the lyrics and 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 get get to the wrap up? What do you reckon? I think so, yeah. Welcome to part four of the show. We're just going to give you some final thoughts now. and But as usual, before that, let's give you some um, credits and details and stuff. So writing credits, a music by Jeff Hanneman, lyrics by Hanneman and King. According to Setlist, check this out, Doc. According to Setlist, this was played no less than 1,875 times um, <laughs> by Slayer. That's not bad, is it? Um, putting it, of course, inevitably in first position. They, they did not play a track more consistently than this song. Uh, the first, the first, I'm going to give you the last one 
first. Um, so the last play was the usual, the Forum Inglewood, which was their last ever gig. Check this out, the doc. First play, unknown venue in New York on August the 12th, 1986. What do you make of that, doc? They know the date, but they don't know the place. How's that we, possible? We've come across this before. Um, I've speculated previously that it was a um, friends and corporates only warm up. Oh, yeah. Like an invite only, effectively. Um, or at a tiny, tiny little club. Yeah. Um, so uh, I, I think it would have... Um, knowing Def Jam's management passion for, um, what should we say, cultivating insider relationships, mm. but it was very, very important to, um, to schmooze the cool crowd. Um, and... I think if they were trying to do something as audacious as make a metal band from California cool in New York City, they probably had to do something a bit special to do it. And that yeah. would likely have been um, an invite only. Sure. Yeah. So, so some private gig somewhere, basically. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, Loudwire. Here we go. Um Glad I put this in third position uh, of all of Slayer's tracks. And here's what they say. The greatest thrash riff in history is undoubtedly Raining Blood. 30 years later, Hanneman's lead still pushes the boundaries of menacing guitar work, cursing the listener with something truly concerning. Also utilising one of metal's all-time greatest breakdowns and one of the genre's most memorable lyrics, Raining Blood from a Lacerated Sky. The song is simply immortal, writing a perfect final chapter to Rain in Blood. I, I mean, I totally agree. The only thing I think they're missing out on is, is mentioning uh, Dave's little kind of triplet on the, on, on the bass drum. Um, yeah, and I mean, and that, that's, that's an omission. Yeah, it, 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 it's a big one, isn't it? Yeah. It's a glaring omission. Um, final thoughts, Doc? I have got nothing to say except to recap what I believe I've already said twice, which is um, this song has been so influential on my private consciousness. It's coloured my opinion of a whole entire album for more than 30 yeah. years. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> I said the previous song should have been the single. That cut should have been the single from the album. Which it was. Um, we've learnt. Yeah. Um, if someone who you trust to be able to handle it wants to and who's never heard Slayer before want to know what Slayer sounds like I think mm. you could do a lot worse than play them this track yeah yeah it would be interesting wouldn't it you know I mean whether it has the same power now as it did 35 years ago is very interesting because you know I think I think metal and extreme extreme kind of music is, it is more known and heard than it was back then so I don't I, whether you know I don't think you put the genie back in the bottle unfortunately there's nothing in 20, in, in year 2021 there's nothing that would have the balls to be that chaotic no no um no, there's not there's, there's, there's nothing <coughs> um production gets heavier and mm. it gets more precisional which makes it heavier in its own way but i don't think anything would dare to well there's no other word for it there's nothing that would dare to flirt with anarchy there's nothing that would dare to walk so close to the edge with the very real risk of toppling off sure yeah 
Yeah, I agree. Doc, are you ready to pronounce? I am, yes. Come on. Um, nine out of ten. Nine. <laughs> out of ten. Wow. Even to the last, he sounds a bit of controversy. Where's the point lost, Doc? Justify yourself. Um, I just don't enjoy it as much as some other tracks. Ah, fair enough. Yeah, it's just too confrontational in some way. Um, it's there's so very very little. Um, it's such a wall. There's so very very little that I can get inside. Mm. Um, I mean, it's for all of its subject matter. Um, and the strangest thing is, it does turn into an Old Testament Christian artifact. Um, it's supposed to be there to tower over you and impress you and overawe you and make you feel fear. Mm. Um. And the result of which is that compared to some other tracks, um, it's just not as much fun as some of the other tracks on this album. Yes, it, it's a cathedral on top of a hill towering over the, 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 the terrified citizens of the, of the town beneath, isn't it? Rather than the, like the, char- the, you know, the, the charming chapel that gets haunted in their second That's right, yeah. effectively. Yeah, no, no, um, I'll take your point, Doc. I mean, I'm aware of the fact that if someone wished to paraphrase me badly... Um, if they consider the marks I've given and what I've said about how much I enjoy the songs of this album, um, effectively they could sum up my statement by saying that I have referred to this song as being slightly less fun than the Holocaust. <laughs> you know, each to their own book. I mean, in- inevitably for me, it's a straight 10. Of course it is, because only a fool would say otherwise, Doc. And you know that's true. <laughs> um, that, I think that about does it for this episode, guys. Um, don't forget, you can contact us on Twitter at Vercast or on Gmail at SlateTanicVercast at gmail.com. And you can join us next time, incidentally, when we'll be just doing like an, an album overview, effectively. No, no specific track will just be talking about Rainy Blood, the album, as a whole. And I think I certainly will listen to the to the, to the whole album two or three times beforehand. And I bet you will too, won't you, Doc? Of course I will. Yeah, and hope to see you then. See you later. Take, Take care. care. Bye-bye. Don't have nightmares. Bye-bye.